Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, <laughs> people on this side. Um, <laughs> my name um, is Bryony, um, kind of part of the sort of extended team here. Um, I've been uh, around the church for quite a long time, but I realize some of you may not know me, so I'm Bryony again. And um, me and my son, uh, my, my son, me and my husband, Rich, have three children. We've been part of this church for um, nearly 16 years, and it is a great joy to be able to come and speak this morning. Um, over the past sort of three years, my dad has been doing some research into our family tree. So I don't know if any of you got into this during lockdown, going on those like ancestry websites and all that stuff, but he's really got into this, um, dug out all of the old family Bibles that had some of the some of the family trees in, and he's kind of traced the family back, and he's working on it at the moment. I think he's got back to about 1,700, so he's doing quite well. And I think it's interesting that family trees and family kind of heritage um, and ancestry is something that we kind of find slightly fascinating. Like there is a reason why the BBC series, Who Do You Think You Are, is now on its 15th series. Uh, because people love this stuff. They love listening to celebrities find out that they were related somehow to King Henry VIII or whatever it was. People love it. And family and our family names really matter to us. In our family, both all three of our children, um, their middle name is a name that is from our family, whether it's a relative or a, a maiden surname or something. So each of our children, we really wanted them to carry something of our family um, into the rest of their lives. And my parents, um, as well as being avid um, family tree historians, they also were foster carers for a long time. And they fostered babies. And so most of the babies got adopted between the ages of six months and a year. And each of those children left our home uh, with a book that was filled with photographs of that time that they spent in our, our family. Most of these babies came straight from the hospital. I think the youngest one was seven hours old. So all their family had known was our, was our family. And so what was really important about this book was that it meant there wasn't a black hole in that child's life um, because my mom and dad had filled it with photographs so that when they looked back when they were older and said, well, we were adopted when we were one, but this is our story um, before that, that it was really important because there is nothing worse than not knowing your family history and not knowing who you are. It's really important to us to have a sense of being, of belonging, of being part of something. Today, we are carrying on through the book of Nehemiah, which is something that we've been doing since the very beginning of the year, um, back in September. And today, we've reached a huge section about family history. Tom started this a couple of weeks ago, and he looked at the record, and a lot has happened since the, in those two weeks, so I'll jog your memory, that Tom um, spoke about the people who had decided to return to Jerusalem after the walls had been built, and the people who decide to stay in the villages, and he, he talked through that. And today, we've hit a 26-verse section, so Nehemiah 12, verses 1 to 26, which is entirely a list of names. In fact, 106 names, and I'm going to give you a lot of the relief. I'm not going to attempt to read 106 names to you this morning. In fact, my daughter I'd shared in the week, um, my eldest daughter was asking about um, this weekend, and I said, well, I'm, I'm preaching at church, and she said, well, you know what, and I showed her the passage that I was preaching on. And then literally as I left the door, because I, I spoke at the 9 a.m. this morning, 
She said, oh, is today the day that you're speaking on all of those names? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. She's like, I'm really glad I don't have to listen to that. So, <laughs> but you're the lucky ones because <laughs> um, you do get to listen to that. Um, so in this passage, there are actually four separate genealogies, so these lists of names. And what I want to do this morning is I'm going to, instead of reading that whole passage I'm going to unpack what each of those genealogies is about so we understand the passage, so we're not totally skimming over it. And then I want to ask, does this mean anything to us? What can we ask Jesus about when we look at this passage this morning? So in my notes, I've, got a, I've just scribbled the word breathe, so I'm just going to breathe before we go into this. So Nehemiah 12, verses 1 to 26, and I've helpfully split it up on the screen for you so this should make more sense. So verses 1 to 9 are the chief priests and Levites. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to it because I could be telling you anything right now. Always double check what the preacher's saying. And these are the people who came with Zerubbabel, who came 100 years before Nehemiah. He is the man who led the team that rebuilt the temple. Okay, and then 100 years later, what we've been studying for the last year is Nehemiah building the walls around this temple. So the first nine verses talk about the chief priests and Levites. Now, the Levites were the tribe that was chosen by God and then affirmed by David to be the worship leaders in the temple. So that's their job, to lead God's people in worship. Verses 10 to 11 is the succession of high priests. Gets even more exciting because the next passage, 12 to 21, is the next generation of high priests. And then verse 22 to 26 is the leaders, the family heads in Nehemiah's time. So we've got, so we, we think, or scholars think, that this passage was added into Jeremiah to give, into Nehemiah to give Nehemiah some context. But this is the Levites who were part of the, of, of Nehemiah's team, really. And um, the only sentence you'll see in that passage that gives you any kind of prose that's not just names is when it says that these people, the Levites, stood opposite to give praise and thanksgiving, one section responding to the other, as prescribed by David, the man of God. So this is the word of the Lord. I don't feel like you were actually thankful to the Lord for that, but anyway. <laughs> so why so many names? Why so many genealogies? Did they just love a family tree like my dad? Well, there are a lot of these kind of lists in the Bible, a lot of them. And in fact, Nehemiah is part of a four-book series of one Chronicles, two Chronicles, and Ezra. And those four particular books are very heavy on these kind of genealogies and lists. And for the people um, in Nehemiah's day and later in Jesus' time as well, these genealogies, as well as placing them in the story of God. They could read these and know that they were part of this bigger picture. They also serve two practical purposes as I see it. And what I wanna to do today is unpack those two practical purposes. And hopefully, as we think about this, this will help you every time you read a genealogy. But I wanna unpack those two things, and then I wanna ask the question of, does this really matter for us today? And so the first practical practical um, reasoning for these genealogies, practical purpose, is that they gave inheritance. So the land, the promised land, has been divided between the different tribes of Israel. And each tribe is given a certain amount and a specific area of the promised land. 
And the genealogies of the Old Testament lay this out really specifically. So if you were to claim land, you needed to prove your ancestry. So these genealogies were really important because they were evidence of somebody's inheritance. They showed you that you were part of the tribe that could claim that little bit of land a mile west of Jerusalem. So you would look back at these genealogies and you would know where your inheritance was. So it, it was about their inheritance. Secondly, genealogies are about identity. So the Levites specifically here, who are featured in, in the, today's passage, were one of the tribes of Israel. And they had this specific role when it came to the temple and to worship. They were the tribe that were set apart to lead God's people in worship. So there's the singers, and that's the, um, the last list of names in that passage are the singers, the people who lead the sung worship. Um, but in various different places, and particularly in Chronicles, it explains all the different roles the Levites had for caring for the temple. And even there's a passage in Chronicles 9 that goes into detail about how they were to bake. There was a group of Levites whose job it was to bake bread. And so they have all these different roles. So if you were a Levite, the genealogies revealed that. The genealogist said, this person is a Levite, and therefore, this is their role in the temple and in the people of God. Because the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the walls wasn't just about making people safe, and it wasn't just about giving them a new home. It was about reestablishing worship of God. And I hope that you've got that as we've, as we've explored the whole of Nehemiah, that the whole thrust of the book is about reestablishing worship. God been put back in his rightful place. So far from just being a set of a long list of 106 names, these extensive lists and the ones throughout the Old Testament told the people about their inheritance, their identity, and of course showed them that they were part of this much bigger story. And the people needed reminding of who they were, and we've seen that a lot over the last year. They needed reminding of who they were, what they were called to, and that they had this active role to play in their relationship with God. So does this stuff matter? What about us? Because I don't know about you, but um, I, whenever I'm, I'm reading like the Bible in a year every year, and I get to these kind of passages, um, and I do tend to skim them. <laughs> Those days I get through my Bible reading quite quickly, to be honest. I don't read all of the names in detail. But um, as I was looking at like commentaries and things, literally the first three commentaries I read just didn't even give me anything on these first 26 verses. They just skipped to the next bit, which next week, hopefully that'll be more exciting. But they just skipped through it. They didn't even share anything about it. But as I've been reading and thinking about this purpose of identity and inheritance, it's been why, why the genealogies are even in the Bible, I felt challenged to ask myself, whether I know my inheritance and whether I know my identity. You see, because if you were a Levite in Nehemiah's time, you didn't spend time wrestling with what your calling was or what God was asking you to do. You just looked in the book. You're wondering, you know, where shall I set up flocks? And you, you knew exactly where you should set up flocks because it was very clear this was your land. And a lot of that appeals to me, the idea that I can just turn to the Bible and say, well, my surname's Wells, so my job is to bake the bread for Sundays. 
That would not go well for you as a congregation if I was responsible for bread breaking, but it would sure make my life a lot easier. I probably wouldn't wrestle with the whole question of who am I, what's my calling, what does God want me to do in the church family, if I could just turn to the Bible and see, oh, the Wellses, we do bread. That would make things a lot easier. But that's not how it works, is it, for us? And yet we know that the Bible says that God wants to give good gifts to his children. So do we get in on this inheritance and identity piece? Well, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say that I think that we do. I think God still wants us to receive our identity and our inheritance from him. Of course, inheritance, we no no longer are given land. Unfortunately, I can't read that the Wells clan have a beautiful piece of land out in the Peak District that's ours to farm. Again, probably wouldn't go well, but it would be kind of nice (laughs) to know that. The thing about inheritance is that unless somebody wants to give their inheritance away early, inheritance only kicks in when someone dies and it is passed through the family line. So inheritance requires a family connection and a family death. Those are two things that mean inheritance rolls down to the next generation. And for us, it is Jesus's death which enables us a family connection that that enables us to receive our inheritance. Let me say that again. It's Jesus's death which enables us to gain a family connection and receive our inheritance. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter and the moment where Jesus takes our place on the cross. He dies for our sins and makes us right with God. And as he takes our place on the cross, we take his as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We gain the family connection. And that family connection comes with the inheritance that God wants to bless us with. So what does that inheritance look like if it's not a piece of land in the peaks? Well, at the cross, when we choose to follow Jesus, there is salvation, there is eternal life and a forgiveness of sins, and there is a welcoming into God's family. But is that where it stops? In a sermon in 1889, um, the preacher and theologian Charles Spurgeon said this, The inheritance that God has given us to enjoy in Christ Jesus is exceedingly broad, but we limit ourselves. All that we can think or desire is ours in the covenant of grace. There are immeasurable breadths and lengths, yet we confine ourselves to close quarters. Just let me show you what I mean. For we at first come to Christ by faith, we begin to enter into our inheritance and we obtain a pardon of sin. And then he carries on. Beloved, we are not only absolved, we are positively delightful unto God in Christ Jesus. He accepts our offerings, our praise, our prayers, our heart's love. And so what Spurgeon then goes on to say is that our inheritance is being welcomed into God's presence and getting access to everything good from God. Our inheritance is eternal life, and the Bible talks a lot about our rewards in heaven. But with God, the benefits start now. This means our inheritance is peace, it's joy, it's freedom from fear, it's confidence to pray for healing, and it's the gifts 
of the Spirit. So my question as I've been preparing for today is have I claimed my full inheritance? Am I walking as though everything my father has has been passed on to me? Am I living like God has kind of begrudgingly given me forgiveness of sins, but that's where it stops? Ephesians 1 verse 14 says, The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. That means that the Holy Spirit is at work showing us our inheritance, leading us to Jesus, that God is at work in our lives now, not just at some later date. And we talked extensively about this last week at the weekend at home, about the truth that God is wanting to pour his spirit on his people so that we can do the things that Jesus did. So am I living like I have access to everything good that comes from my father? Am I living like an orphan with no inheritance or a blessed son? Am I living like I have access to everything that Jesus did? You know what's amazing about the inheritance of God? Is that our access to things like freedom, joy, peace, is that they are not dependent on our circumstances. And I know looking around this room, being part of this church now, like I said, for 16 years, I know some of you very well. And I know that there are many people in this room who have said yes over the years to that inheritance, who've said yes to the Holy Spirit being at work to them, who said, yes, God, give me your peace, give me your power, who said yes, and yet life is still hard for them. God's inheritance doesn't mean no trouble. There's a reason why Paul talks about us needing spiritual armor. It's because we're in a battle. But the ferocity of the battle doesn't stop God reaching us. The ferocity of the battle doesn't stop God equipping us. He can give us peace in the middle of a storm. He can give us confidence in the face of overwhelming odds. Our inheritance is there for us to claim. And God loves, loves to give good gifts to his children. Even though we're going through challenging times, and I think especially when we're going through challenging times. Our circumstances do not count us out from receiving an inheritance from Jesus. And obviously, when we get to heaven, things are going to get seriously better. <laughs> but we can still live as children who have been given an inheritance now. Because at the cross, we got it. We don't have to wait any longer. Someone has died, and we've gained a family connection. So what is the challenge for you? I'm going to just pause for a moment before we move briefly onto the identity piece. Just to pause and ask, God, what do you want to give me today? Am I claiming my inheritance? So I'm going to drink a sip of water while you just pause and, and let God speak to you. So what about identity? You remember that the Levites were given specific roles in the passage to lead God's people in worship. And this was part of re-establishing worship, which if we zoom out, as I've said, is kind of the point of the whole of the book of Nehemiah. The rebuilding of the walls, it wasn't, remember, about them being safer. 
It was about God reestablishing his place and his worship in the hearts and lives of his people and making them set apart from the other nations around them. And here's the thing. Our identity is the same as the Levites. Our identity as children of God is to re-establish worship, both in our own lives and in the communities that we are part of. And worship is just giving something its worth. It's turning our hearts towards something. So we can worship a particular football team that won yesterday, or a particular person, or a celebrity, or I can worship God. I can give God worth. I can turn my heart towards him. Worship is at the center of God's work in our lives because when God takes hold of our hearts, then anything we do can be seen in the, through the filter of worship. I can do my work as worship. I can look after my children as worship. I can care for my body and exercise as worship. I can give money as worship. In John 4, Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman and he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus is saying that worship is what God desires of us. Worship is what sets us apart as God's children. Just like with the Levites when they were drawn back to the temple to worship, that it set them apart from the other tribes and clans and people that were around them. God is longing to reestablish worship in our lives and through our communities. And that's why church planting is so important because it reestablishes worship. As we plant in Furvale and Stannington and other places, we are saying, God, we want you to reestablish your worship in this place. Because then he is able to draw people to himself and pour out his inheritance. That's why worship is so important, because as we acknowledge who he is and, and his place in our lives, we are able to receive good things from him. And so the question I'm left really around identity is, is my life worship? Am I living like God has given me that role? Do I need to reestablish worship in my life? And maybe that looks like changing the filter that we see our life through, starting to see the job we do or the roles we have as worship. And to be honest, as a mother, I have struggled with this over the last 10 years to see my role, which I know I am extremely privileged to have as a parent, as worship didn't always come naturally to me. Three and a half years ago, I stepped out of kind of employment working here actually, to join my husband um, working alongside him. We have a design agency. Um, and the realities though, as I stepped out of that, of then COVID, trying to move, um, having a child, having to homeschool children, ooh, um, <laughs> is the reality is that I have probably only worked about three months in those three and a half years with Rich. And I have found myself kind of accidentally a stay-at-home mum, which is not a job that I expected to have in this season necessarily, um, but it's, that's what's happened. But during this season, God has taught me so much about worshipping him in an unexpected place. You know, I have worked for this church and four other different Christian organizations, and in those jobs, it was easy, it was 
easy to see where God, how my job could be worship. But this last season has been one of, for me, of re-establishing worship as I've wrestled with my identity, not to a particular job role, but actually for me in this season to a particular serving people and a particular group of people in my home, but also outside of my home. And for me, I know that I've forgotten my identity as a worshiper when bitterness creeps in. And so for me, um, that looks like internal monologues saying things like, oh, well, it's all right for her. She's managed to progress her career. Or nobody knows how hard I'm serving everybody this week. When those kind of thoughts, that sort of bitterness creep in, I know that I've forgotten my identity as a worshiper that I'm looking to other people to give me validation rather than my heavenly father. So I wonder about what about you? Do you need, like me, to re-establish worship? And so do we know our inheritance? And do we know our identity as worshippers? And I suppose both of those things can be summed up in the question, do we need reminding of who we are today? Because has the past two years made you, it certainly has me, question my, your identity? Maybe you are suffering from long COVID and life feels very different. Maybe you had to put your life and career on hold. You were either furloughed or you were homeschooling or you were made redundant. Maybe it's a bereavement, a diagnosis, a job loss or a financial struggle. And those things have left us asking the question, who am I? Well, when we feel that way, we, like the Levites, like the Israelites, we come back to the book. We come back to the book and we read about our identity, uh, sorry, our inheritance first. We read about the reality of a life lived in step with the Spirit, empowered by him to live differently, we're reminded that we belong, that we are welcomed into his family, that we belong in this place, in the church, amongst our family. And we come back to the book and we read about identity, not found in the things that we do or the losses that we've suffered, but an identity changed forever by Jesus, that God would call us his children that the covenant promise that was given to Abraham, that his descendants would, were blessed to be a blessing, is our covenant promise. That our call is to worship him, to live our lives orientated towards him. We're reminded not only that we belong, but that we have a purpose. So are the genealogies of the Bible difficult to get through? Yes, and I will probably still, hand on heart, I'm going to skim read them, people. Um, I will still skim them. But can they point us towards God's kindness, his provision, his love? Absolutely. 